So tell me, Simon, you've spent a bit of time in Marwa. Can you describe what makes it so special? One of the most intriguing things about Marwa is it, compared to the Perth Hills and, and the southwest, it seems like a featureless landscape. And I feel like that is so captivating because it's not like you're looking to the next hill to see what's over it. You're imagining what's over the, the shimmering heat horizon. Yeah, right. And yeah, it's, it just draws you in. So it seems like nothing's there, but it's full of life, isn't it? It is absolutely full of life. So the diversity on one particular patch of country is really amazing. You can walk for half a kilometre and pass through several different habitat types yeah, and right. that makes you want to walk for more than more than a kilometre just to keep exploring. Are there enough trees for you to climb up there, Simon? You know you love a tree? There, there are. They're not quite the same as the southwest, but as I age, that's easier because <laughs> you can stand on the bonnet and access a couple of them rather than have to scale to great heights. Oh, great, great. And what brought you out there? I was first introduced to Marawa through the marsupial reintroduction program that DBCA did uh, in the early 2000s and one of the things that happens when you put mammals back in the landscape is things tend to eat them right. uh, and uh, one of those things is the wedge-tailed eagle. So there was a discussion about whether wedge-tailed eagles at Marawa were drawn like a magnet to some of the reintroduction sites that mammals were being replaced to, into. Uh, so. Yeah, people wanted to know a bit more about how the wedge-tailed eagle lived at Marawa, how many pairs were out there. Uh, so yeah, I started a research project back in 2011. Wow, so where there's a wedge-tailed eagle, there's a Simon Cherryman. Sometimes. So there's he... not enough of me though. So. <laughs> and you're an ornithologist, can you tell us what that is? An ornithologist is a bird scientist, a person that researches birds uh, in their natural environment. And uh, yes, I, I like doing that and being out in the bush and being up in trees especially. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, and you mentioned that it's the traditional lands of the Waluna Marshu people out in Marua. I believe you've been taken on country. What was that experience like? Were you lucky enough to have any of their knowledge passed on to you? Yes, it's been my engagement and relationship with Waluna Maru people has happened in a couple of stages. So in the early, one of my first trips out there, um, I was introduced to some elders to be given some endorsement, I suppose, of um, for carrying out the work that right. I was proposing. Which is really important. Uh, it's, it's a trust thing, isn't it? Very much. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about it in, in two ways that, you know, to do research anywhere in Australia these days, you need to tick a couple of boxes. And one is the, the obey the, the LORE mm -hmm. and the other is the LAW and right. the LORE, Aboriginal culture, and um, all of its, uh, you know, amazing uh, respectful rules and regulations around interacting with country um, has been there for tens of thousands of years and so in terms of a, a chronology of how you would start a project I feel like it's the first the first thing that you should do um, but uh, then several years after I started researching eagles at, at Marawa um, I was exposed to being able to go to the school um, and interact with school children and that has always been a passion of mine, sharing information about the environment to younger people yeah. who are, you know, by default of, of being young, very naturally engaged and curious. Uh, so when I first went to the Waluna School um, to talk about Wallawuru, the wedge-tailed eagle, uh, you know, that was it was very captivating for the kids. Yes. Yeah, and I 
you would have been the coolest visitor to their <laughs> school, I bet. Well, the funniest thing was, uh, it, it's funny, everyone talks about my height all the time, but, <laughs> but at, at Waluna Remote Community School, it was the dreadlocks. So I had right. all these kids climbing over and literally using my rope hair to, to climb up my onto my knees saying, you've got Bob Marley hair, and is this hair real? And um, So, but yeah, certainly uh, getting the opportunity to talk about eagles and then through the school and, and then a continued relationship with more Māori elders, um, especially some of the, the women, um, Rita Cutter, Lena Long, uh, some of these women that, that were actually born on country. Um, it's been a profound experience and I can't talk about it without it tugging on the heartstrings emotionally because when you are out in that landscape, it is it envelops you and it captivates you and you feel the heartbeat of the land. You just feel that people have always been there and had this relationship. But when you have a voice that is connected to thousands of generations of people that are actually being born and live their life on that country, um, and you actually swept away from modern civilization into this place out on a, a red rock in the middle of the desert, um, it, it's like being transported back in time that you forget the rest of Australia's you know, peripheral modern civilization and you just think this is how people live, this is where people live, and how on earth did people possibly forge a relationship with this environment so that they could survive? And not only that, they thrived. You know, these were areas of Australia that, that uh, had ample food and, and water resources if you knew where to look. And it really changes your perspective on, on life. What a gift to be given that experience. Yeah, but it's very, very been very, um, I feel very privileged, absolutely, to, to have these engagements. And uh, yeah, and it just makes you want to to learn more, and that's really what's led into the two way science, which has been mm-hmm. fantastic. When you were out on country, did the traditional owners did they talk about um, obviously the land before, but then you know white people came and foxes and camels and cats and all these you know introduced animals came through. Did they talk about that and what impact that had? And now that there's been conservation efforts to remove those, did they talk about the aftermath of it? Did they show any understanding of the change? Definitely. Um, Like lots of Australia, you know, information stories um, have been fragmented and Mm -hmm. and there is various levels of understanding of of the chronology of of history in some of these areas. Uh, I I think one of the main things that have come across through storytelling uh, with Māori elders has been the memories that some of these, as I said, women in particular, um, have shared about being born on country mm-hmm. and and what they did. You know that they were they, they left country in in um, in carts and were taken to the nearest civilizations like Waluna. Um, some of the people, you know, just as kids, it was their parents that were, were taken to work on some of the station properties. Um, th- there has been more stories shared like that rather than. Uh, let's say a, a, a chronology about you know the arrival of foxes the arrival right, of cats right. but mm-hmm. certainly that the it's a very vivid thing as as a child to have your whole family transported from away from the area that you lived yes uh and and yeah through through as i said various people have had different stories to tell um but what i think is really obvious uh when you're in desert australia is that the connection to the country it doesn't matter what's happened you know, through Western agriculture, Aboriginal people's connection to country is is phenomenally strong. It doesn't matter what's happened. If you go back out there, it's like having a missing piece of a jigsaw puzzle put back together. You you are restored with this sense of calm and feeling 
that you're at peace with your existence and that is uh, something that some people in modern civilization have completely lost. They've never actually experienced what it's like to have your feet on the earth and feel like everything that you are going to eat or breathe depends on the health of that overall landscape. Mm -hmm. It's even um, a stretch to say that we're removed from it because, like you say, some people have never been exposed from it to be removed from it in the first place. No, no. So, yeah, there's a very... You know, it's almost you can almost put your hand out mm. and, and grab something tangible. This this air, this aura, of a feeling that, um, yeah, you, you're in a space where people absolutely acknowledge that they are connected like mm -hmm. a tree with its roots into the ground to that landscape. Um, and and also, what's remarkable is is the um, joviality that you experience. Mm -hmm. You know, you go out with with Māori elders and with uh, the school children, and everyone's laughing no matter what. And obviously, as I said, my stature and, and hairstyle, you know, plenty of jokes around that. Laughing so at you, Simon, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. If you fell over in Woolini, you'd end up over in um, Jigalong. Um, that's so funny. But yeah, it's, um, which is great because ultimately this is where we're at in, in you know, the early 2000s now in terms of um, two cultures coming together, mm -hmm. recognising that the common thing that we have to work towards is looking after the one thing that connects everyone, which is the landscape and its health. So you're a scientist, fascinated by science and the science of birds, and you went to Marawa on a science endeavour. When you were there, did you get exposed to uh, what was going on with the other fauna at Marawa? Very much, uh, because I was fortunate to be studying an apex predator, and you cannot study one species really in any mm -hmm. anywhere in the ecosystem and not look at the links that it has between other parts of the ecosystem but right. when you are studying you know the largest Australian bird of prey in that ecosystem um, I've said this analogy before that it, it's like an umbrella it, 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 it covers everything in terms of their food um, eagles eat most other vertebrates that are in that landscape mm -hmm. bigger than you know a medium-sized bird right up to the full-sized red kangaroos and wow. and bustards and, and goannas um, parinka in, in language uh, so they are a window into the ecosystem. So one of the key things that I was wanting to look at is, you know, do wedge-tailed eagles eat the threatened marsupials that are being reintroduced? DPCA scientists right. knew they did because mm -hmm. you let out an animal at the wrong time of the day or the wrong position and suddenly there's a rush of air and an eagle comes down and grabs it. Breakfast. But what were, were the eagles doing in terms of impacts? Were they compromising the people's ability to restore mm -hmm. these mammals to the landscape or were they just eating the occasional one and and not having a significant impact. So that was the first thing to really find out. Fantastic. So the Wallawuru, that's the is that the Matu word for the wedge tailed eagle? Correct, yes. And then Wallawuru Week is um, involved with the schools. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's right. So uh, Wallawuru Week came about uh, through a few planets lining up, so to mm -hmm. speak, and one of them was uh, in years when there's been sufficient rainfall for Madu, for Madua wedge-tailed eagles to breed, several pairs would have nestlings and I was interested in banding those nestlings and sometimes attaching satellite transmitters to find out where those birds moved in the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, and often we would go back to the Waluna school and do bird activities just at the school, uh, but then one year uh, the school made it like a camp so that the children could actually come out um, and be present at Marawa while the eagle research was happening. And also while bird scientists uh, 
like myself and Neil Hamilton, um, Tegan Douglas, various people from BirdLife Australia, were interested in studying other species, um, those things all were happening in the same place at the same time. So the students uh, were able to come out and actually be involved in those on-country activities. And because of you know the focus on wedge-tailed eagles uh, being Wallawuri, they just someone coined the phrase, oh, it's like Wallawuri week," <laughs> and it's it's easier to say than uh, predator-proof fenced in exposure <laughs> or whatever. So we uh, we sort of stuck with that. And the Waluna Matu Rangers, they're involved as well. Can you tell us a bit about the relationship between the rangers and the department and how it all works? Yes. So one of the key goals I think for Matua. Uh, was as an indigenous protected area mm -hmm. was that the rangers were given the opportunity to, to be carrying out ranger work back on country yeah. which which uh, continued their existing connection to country um, but allowed them to be leaders instead of tagging along with mm -hmm. other people's work and usually western scientists work or parks and wildlife work um, it was it provided the opportunity for them for, for rangers to actually lead these activities uh, focused very often on charismatic species right. or very important, uh, let's say, jobs to do to look after particular uh, sites of cultural significance like mm -hmm. waterholes, like, uh, you know, particular patches of vegetation. Um, and so the Walunamata Rangers um, then were given the opportunity to, you know, be like mentors, especially for the children as well. So really, Wallaroo Week went from a few Western scientists working with the school being included later to the rangers uh, heavily involved in planning activities that were of cultural significance and bringing the children in to learn from their elders mm -hmm. um, and this two-way approach which has very much been centralised around the use of language, yeah. uh, the, the Western term for an animal, the Māru term, uh, the values ecologically of that Western animal but the values culturally um, from a Māori perspective as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and the presentation or, or the, the looking at country through those two different lenses, so to speak, is so valuable for, for young people growing up because they're re-engaging or engaging with their culture in an ongoing fashion. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, understanding a bit more about where those animals fit in the, the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, so what do, what's the purpose of having eagles here? Will they you know, keep prey populations in check. They they eat various creatures that are they're sick and dying. Um, they, you know, the, the goannas are really important, the, the marsupial is important for turning the soil over. If we don't have them, country is compacted and it's too hard and the water doesn't penetrate. So all of those ecological relationships uh, are able to be communicated, which is incredibly valuable. And it's amazing to see the kids running around and and finding all of these signs of animals on country uh, yeah, it's really heartening. That's super cool. Because I was also reading about, because um, in this latest edition of Landscope, we're talking about the bilbies out at Marwa, and that just like what you say with the eagle, how they're one single animal, but their interrelation with the rest of the environment is so fascinating and so integral. And like you mentioned with the other animals, digging up the soil or they spread the seed or the bilby burrows, some of the smaller rodents use the bilby burrows to hide. Everybody's really living and working together in harmony. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And one of the and, and as, as hard as it is to say, you know, when you're studying a predator that eats things, um, and some of those things that it eats are, are threatened marsupials, you, you yeah. want every one of those individuals to survive. What I find is when I climb a nest and I find the remains of a bilby on that wedge-tailed eagle's nest, mm -hmm. I don't feel sad for the bilby. Yeah. I feel happy for a natural 
uh, historical ecological relationship that's been restored because you know that if an eagle is going to eat one bilby there's more than just one bilby out there there's enough of them for the probability of, of bilby to pop up in the eagle spectrum to be to be high enough mm. uh, which is a real sign that these ecosystems are being restored and that's great. So there's hope for Marawa? Very much I think Marawa is an example of a place that you can certainly drive across the category from the neighbouring station and it's like going from a desert into a rainforest almost wow. because after now nearly 25 years of exclusion from feral herbivores mostly uh, you haven't got that grazing pressure you haven't got the soil compaction um, and just the regrowth of vegetation has been phenomenal and it really shows you that you know the rangelands in in some of these areas can be recovered and for me I find it so inspiring with some of these overlaps between wedge-tailed eagle movements, the juveniles we've put tags on um, that have flown miles across the landscape else outside of Marawa and flown back to Marawa and the stories that these Māori elders tell about them moving vast distances across the landscape uh, like they did with their elders in, in times gone by. And to see some of the women say, oh, well, that eagle's gone from the Carnegie Lakes right across here. Well, my old people used to do that. Mm -hmm. um, isn't that amazing? That's like a map of what my old people did. Um, that's, yeah, those are really stories of hope that we can keep restoring the country. And how do you find that um, the traditional owners respond when you show them those scientific, say if you have it up on your laptop or you can map that, are they responsive to that? V very much, yeah. They, they love, everyone loves seeing, you know, something digital media and photographs right. and films but yeah I, I think kids growing up don't always have the same imagination to think of, of right. life in 3D like yeah. Aboriginal people have for thousands of years you know they've been able to paint um, two-dimensional features of the landscape from a 3D perspective without having ever flown in the air <laughs> um, a lot of people have lost that ability now so to be able to show both the elders and kids that everyone gets excited about what you know that little thing that you put on a, on a wallaby this is what it can show us and yeah it's very uh, exciting to see. I love that. Well it sounds like Marawa really is a really special place and it kind of represents that all is not what it seems and then when you lift under the surface there's something really special underneath there and I love that it's a great example of traditional owners and the rangers being able to own what they do, working with scientists like you and then children up to the elders like sounds fantastic. The words outdoor classroom have been used yeah. a lot and I think it's absolutely one of those places that's going to uh, grow more and more. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Simon. You really do lead such an interesting life. And I think we can all agree that it was a really good career choice for you to be in the business of educating people and just sharing your knowledge, especially for the next generation. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having us.